Hey team, welcome back to Screenworthy, brought to you by The Mind Refinery. I am your host, Kyle Bodanis. This is the first in a series of podcasts that we're putting out month to month as we lead up to the release of Dune on October 1st, 2021. We were days away from starting this series in the fall, but as I'm sure you know, there's been a lot of controversy around the release of the film. It was pushed back initially because of COVID, and then recently Warner Brothers announced that their entire 2021 slate would be released on HBO Max in addition to their theatrical releases. So now that things are a little bit more concrete, we're going to start this series by examining the films of the director, Denis Villeneuve, one of the best filmmakers out there. And we're starting with his 2015 flick, Sicario. If you like what you hear, rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and if you have time, follow The Mind Refinery on social media. And now, here's the show. All right, people, here today to discuss Denny Villeneuve's drug war epic, Sicario, are Mind Refinery creatives Boyan Nedic and John Neal. Gentlemen, welcome. What's going Hello. on? So, guys, um, let me kind of frame this uh, situation for us here. So, Denny Villeneuve describes the film as a descent into hell, a journey into darkness that goes down and down, following this woman who is slowly disintegrating. Uh, it was made with only a $30 million budget. A lot of filmmakers would have balked at that, a film of this scope. Uh, with that kind of budget, usually we're in the hundreds of millions. Uh, but Villeneuve found the budget freeing, uh, as a smaller budget allowed them to make what they wanted to uh, because basically Lionsgate had kind of left them alone and uh, they got to make what they wanted to make. So I want to start us off by asking, where was Denny Villeneuve's career going into this movie and how did it impact, you know, the kind of movies he was considered for? And, uh, you know, what was the impact on his career? Um, well, first of all, the I think this movie kind of put into perspective uh, the scale in which he was sort of able to deal with things at. And the film feels very vast in scope for a $30 million budget. And I think like his prior films that he did, like Prisoners obviously was a, was a huge movie that was, um, that was just amazing as far as just the story and, and, and the, the whole thriller aspect of it. But before that he had like, Incendies and and Polytechnique, those were very sort of indie style films. But I think Prisoners and more 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 so Sicario was the thing that sort of pushed him into the whole dealing with the scale side of things, as far as the scaling up of the world. I think. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if anybody at the time, you know, actually ever framed it that way, or if this is just like a you know, hindsight thing, but it really, uh, Sicario really looks like it was kind of a test of this big test of, of, you know, is, can he, can this indie art house filmmaker handle a big production? And he not only did handle a, a, a large scale production with a, a very big, you know, not a very big, but a fairly large cast of, of A-listers, uh, but he handled it with, you know, with a small budget uh, uh, doing a a much larger scale thing than than what that budget could you know traditionally accomplish, and then also made you know made I think it was like eighty nine million is what it brought in versus what it made what what it cost. So he did really well, and he passed the test both in terms of could, can he tell a story of that scale? Can he you know the action scenes, the 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 uh, you know, big the set sort of set pieces, set piece elements, as well as sort of the storytelling and, and handling that kind of cast. So uh, and and you know, it shows what he got after that and after that, and how he's gone bigger and bigger every single time. 
Yeah, his previous two films uh, were Enemy Prisoners. I mean, Prisoners, I feel like, was the one that brought him uh, into the headspace of English audiences the most. I mean, especially, like, you know, more importantly for his career, Hollywood executives, you know, they started looking at what he can do. It's a fantastic film that we're going to do an episode on. But Sicario kind of represents the next step after that, you know, dealing with set pieces, big scenes, raids, uh, you know, this big convoy scene, you know. Um, but he kind of hits two notes. He has, you know, the ability to take genre, uh, like science fiction, like the drug thriller, which has been done so many times, and, you know, and make them kind of into high art. So if you're an executive, he kind of hits your big action movie needs um, while kind of leaving you in good shape for award season. And, uh, you know, these are the kind of films he's getting into now. He'll go on to make Arrival, which we will also talk about, uh, which is a fantastic movie and then take on uh the nerd wank fest of all nerd wank fests um (laughs) until dune comes out uh blade runner without having people think he was a complete fuck up which i thought was impossible up until uh this time but i mean he's done fantastic i mean this film is objectively brilliant he takes a tired item the drug thriller and uh makes it something more uh something that seems fresh something that seems original and um, the ability to do that, I think also the centering on a strong female character was a good call too, because it's kind of, you kind of see her in this, uh, surrounded by this world of uh, the ends justify the means, and she's, uh, you know, she is still a little bit more of an idealist and just almost seems broken by the end of it. So I want to look at, you know, what are, when this came out, what was your overall thoughts on the film? Um, well... I actually don't remember what led me to go see this movie because this was my first introduction to him as a filmmaker. I, I had not seen Prisoners yet. I, I hadn't seen uh, Polytechnique or Incendies or, or, or even Enemy. And I was absolutely floored by, by how good this movie was because I think I, I just didn't expect it to be that good and i and i didn't know anything about uh, the people involved like i didn't know that roger deakins was a cinematographer on this um obviously i didn't know who 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 um who denis was but um he like again this is a very sort of as you say uh, a sort of played out genre uh, at least up until the time this came out which i believe was 2015 and he put his spin on it and i think that's what sort of is the solidifying factor is that he has this ability to create atmospheres in his films that where the tension is just like right from the opening scene in the in like the in the murder house the stakes are so high from the very first scene and it doesn't feel like it's you know out of like it doesn't bombard you with action at the beginning like like some movies tend to do where they think they can raise the stakes in the first scene and then the rest of the movie you know you're just off to the races but Sicario's a slow burn but right from that opening scene the tension throughout the rest of the movie just permeates in the atmosphere and you just feel so on edge the whole time that I think that was really the difference it was his ability to sort of you know just just give it that that atmosphere that separates it from other f- uh, films and, and TV series of of, uh, of that genre. So I was completely, uh, just completely caught off guard by how good it was when I saw it. For me, it was, uh, I mean, I didn't, I don't remember any marketing for it or anything like that that actually caught me or anything trailer-wise. I think I actually saw it with one of you two, uh, maybe some other people, and it was 
The only thing I knew about him is is I knew Benicio Benicio del Toro was in it, and I'm a fan of his. Uh, and then when I saw it, I was just like blown away by like what you said, the atmosphere of it. The the I didn't, I've never heard of Dennis Villeneuve um uh before that movie so i definitely hadn't seen any of those other movies and on the surface it doesn't seem like it you know the movie's anything special in terms of its, its genre and 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 and, and uh, the story and whatnot but it uh that, that that atmosphere that tension the characters sort of the the focus on the characters and their and their the performances of those actors were were just all so good and that music was incredible to keep that tension sort of connected throughout the film but uh, I was blown away by it when I when I walked out, and I also think that one of the things that it that it's mainly about is do the ends justify the means, and I think that I think that's a lot different than what we're used to seeing in this genre. Like we don't usually you know. see it from that perspective. It's mostly about either glorifying the drug life, or it's about or or, or the cartel lifestyle, or it's taken from a different angle. That yeah. angle I, I felt through that lens of um of of Emily Blunt's character was just a super interesting way to spin the genre in the way yeah. that they spun it, which I don't really think was was done quite like that before. Yeah, she represents sort of that you know she like just idealized sort of version of not even idealized but somewhat of a positive idealized version of the enforcement of law and law and whatnot and you know she follows rules there's procedures there's way things are done and you kind of you're you you're dragged as every time she's confused and shocked and you know by by what how much worse can this get in, a, in this world she, she wasn't even she knew about it but she, she you know until you experience it you don't really know about it it was kind of her experience and you're you're kind of pulled in with her with that and uh, i think i mean that's that kind of trope of the rookie or, or the new guy or whatever that doesn't know anything about this and is kind of drawn into this darker and darker levels of of absurdity and insanity is is a trope like it, it's been done but uh, i think it was done really well in this setting and in this thriller setting and and uh and uh, sort of this crime story setting yeah i'm gonna say that the idea of the ends justify the means and this is actually kind of lends more to this film i th- i feel like like I felt like it's still like any of these drug movies where they're like talking about, you know, especially American involvement, there's always a bit of that in it. But like this just was, I th- just thought they executed it so well where there was a time spent on mood. Like this is not like, I cannot stress that this is not really an original story at all. Yeah. Um, And I-, I just thought it was, so fucking well done how just how they were able to uh as i said sculpt mood uh the cinematography is brilliant it's like kind of a little bit more of an unconventional uh roger deakins uh cinematography where it's more i mean then again uh, it's just i think it's more built on these stark landscapes um yeah. uh and and they look really great like they use the drones super well and just yeah. kind of like show like just the desolate landscape behind it, it kind of lends credence um, to, you know, to the whole story. It felt like it was put together simply from a just from a story perspective. Um, it doesn't get overtly complicated. The thing about it is it's always go, go, go. And that's what they use to kind of ramp up the tension. And, you know, Denny Villeneuve said as much when he was talking about the the, the screenplay um He's just like, that's how it was. The screenplay just just has you go and go and go and go. And that's what he kind of wanted to convey. And the challenge for Emily Blunt was just kind of representing that person who's pushed and pulled 
you know, all these different directions. And I just thought their kind of ability to deal with that was, you know, absolutely fantastic. And to be very honest with you, can I be really honest with you? The reason why I wanted, why I wanted to see it and I saw it because it's like, Oh, Benicio del Toro in a drug movie. Okay. (laughs) I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say there's a 99% chance. I'm at least going to be entertained during (laughs) the process. So I'm like fucking go because traffic was, fantastic no no i was just gonna say he was fantastic in that he's really good yeah we're gonna we're gonna get into the performances i before like what we're what were some actually you know what actually i gotta we gotta do this right now let's take i'm gonna clock it right now five minutes to jerk off to roger deacon's cinematography (laughs) in this and i'm timing it and go boy boy and you're first Um, go for it I mean, Jesus. Clock okay, is running. So, yes, obviously, uh, uh, you know, he does the big scenes that work really well to, to establish that atmosphere. Those big drone shots uh, uh, do so much to sort of, you know, you have this character, you have this, you, the, obviously, like, you know, you feel the danger of this whole city when they go into Juarez being sort of this dangerous place that they enter into. So it works super well with that. And, you know, aside from those bigger pieces, you know, there's a, a lot of conventional stuff, but then, oh, he, just the master stroke, I think, in this movie is the the uh, night vision scene and sort of that entering into that night vision scene where he does something that, you know, not many very, very DPs uh, have done, but it's also a, a, a uh, uh, oh God, what's the word for it? It's basically a microcosm of the whole film in that one scene, uh, that ending scene, uh, uh, when they go in, you know, they literally, it's a sunset shot and they literally dip into, silhouettes dip into darkness. And then they go into dark tunnels, they have a fight, the main character doesn't even know what's going on half the time. And then, you know, she walks in upon something awful that's, you know, ends justify the means sort of thing with, gets shot as a warning by this really dangerous person who's working with them, who she doesn't understand. It's just it's that whole that whole scene is just is is the scene of the movie for me and it's Deacons you know best work on that film yeah. like standout part of the film yeah it's well that part's amazing like with with the dusk and like that glow of the uh, of the sun setting in the background as they dip down is it's an unforgettable uh, shot and then everything following that is just amazing in 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 the tunnels and stuff like that but I also really like um, the intimate scenes with with both care like with two characters and sort of the conversations that they have specifically the scene at the end where alejandro makes kate sign the waiver in that scene i i just like the lighting on his face like he's barely lit on 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 the on the left side of his face obviously symbolic of sort of what his character is and then like Emily Blunt's character Kate is just totally lit by by the kitchen lights and there's that whole scene in the way that that it's and what that scene means and just the way that it was paced and everything like that it was just it was just beautiful I think this is one of the uh those Deacon movies where it's like again super indie as far as most of the stuff he's done uh, like big budget stuff and I think that was sort of the thing that you know like at least the technical aspect that raised it to another level. Like I, I don't know with a $30 million budget, if you had someone that wasn't maybe the best living cinematographer ever doing this, if it would have justified sort of, I guess the scale of it and just the technical aspect of it, because that was just, that elevated the movie so much just from having him do it. I, th- I feel like I said, this was unconventional, but 
now that I'm thinking of it, uh, I'm going to say like it's in the, you know, jar head, uh, maybe not quite as like blown out as jar head, but, um, also like true grit and no country for old men for the vistas. I would say yeah. that would be the, uh, that would be the fucking big one. My favorite scene, uh, very subtle in it. Uh, remember, uh, when, uh, they, you know, they do this, this fucking, they got the, they do the, they have the shootout and then friggin', uh, Josh Brolin and Emily Blunt's character, they get into an argument outside yeah. and the whole argument is done in a super wide shot mm-hmm. and you just see them very small in the frame. I'm like, this is fucking incredible. It's I'm after like, they come back from Juarez. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Like when they come back from the Juarez, uh, which I believe yeah. is that big convoy thing. And the, yeah. which was that scene is ridiculous, which we'll get to. Um, so, I mean, I really, really enjoyed that. I love that they let the actress fill the space. And I was debating whether or not they shot coverage. And I'm like, nah, they probably didn't shoot coverage. <laughs> and then I, so, and then as soon as I saw the, uh, and then as soon as I saw the uh, budget, I'm like, these guys didn't shoot coverage. These guys were not going over. These guys were not going over uh, yeah. for anything. So, um, you know, that was uh, really great. And uh, honestly, you know, I, I, I'm in terms of the great Roger Deakins performances, I think this uh, probably gets lost. Uh, I believe he won the uh, Oscar for cinematography for this. He was nominated. He was nominated, he was nominated. for this. He's the. Yeah. He, I remember he was the Susan Lucci of uh, fucking yeah. the cinematography nominations. So we are running out of time for the jerk off to Roger Deakins, and <laughs> I'm going to end it by saying, obviously, this is uh, a fantastic performance. I think this gets lost in his other one, maybe one of his most underrated. Yeah. Let's At move the on. Time, no, I would say, but boy, no. and we don't have time. Yeah. We cannot jerk <laughs> off Roger Deakins anymore. We cannot get into it. Okay. <laughs> Favorite scenes. Oh my god, that's that's there's 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 quite a few that are really good. Like the opening scene is, I mean it's 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 unbelievable. The the scenes where they're driving through Juarez and and taking him back over the border, like the shootout scene at the borders, awesome. The scene in the tunnels are awesome, and even the scene where uh, where Benicio's character kills the leader of the cartel at, at his mansion is just. That's one of the most intense scenes I think I've ever seen up until that point, to be honest with you. But prob- I would say probably that scene at the mansion and then the ending scene where he holds the gun under her, under her jaw to make her sign the waiver. And actually, really, that scene I think really stuck with me because it was awesome because he was giving her a way out. Like, he was almost saving her in that scene. Because, you know, she didn't want to sign it. And by holding the gun to her to make her sign it, I think in the end she would be able to live with herself because she was forced to do it. So it was something that she didn't do freely. And I think in, in, in Alejandro's mind, that was his way of going, she'll be able to live with herself because I forced her to sign this. That's a good point. I, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I'd already in my in my Deegan's jerk off. I've already, you know, said what my favorite scene was, which is that night vision scene, just because it just manages to accomplish being a microcosm of the whole, or the larger story, and the the themes in it in this one in this one condensed scene. Which I mean, to me, I guess it's not it's more than one the one scene. It's the you know before they enter the tunnel to about uh, to to the aftermath when he kills the the boss, but. In that sense, that that sequence it, to me is is the strongest in the whole film, and 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 is incredibly sort of I don't know poetic, I guess, to everything everything that it needs to 
everything that it, uh, it says about the whole film and in and, and, and that one scene. I really should have said part of this when I was uh, trying to jerk off Roger Deakins, but okay. So the Juarez scene with the with the, uh, the with the convoy, and then eventually uh, that shootout uh, in the traffic just over the border. That was incredible. It was such a tense scene. But even just like Roger Deakins and Denny Villeneuve made just driving through the city f- enjoyable. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. It's like okay, guys, uh, what's happening in this scene? Uh, they're gonna drive through the streets, and then what? They're going to drive through the seats, streets more, and it's going to be tense. And it's like, okay, that sounds ridiculous. Actually, it ends up being awesome, and it's fantastic, and it's well shot, and just the whole idea of it. Like, you really, you know what, it, it almost invokes the same feeling as, like, the, you know, the Humvees and stuff going through uh, Mogadishu in Black Hawk Down. Mm-hmm right but it's like weird because you're on like north american soil and it gives you that feeling of like there you are an invasive presence um and that the camera itself is an invasive presence being there uh i thought it was really great this is a scene where the performances really kind of shine through um the the scene where he kills the you know where he kills the drug lord and his family first of all i believe that bco del toro has been typecast uh, to be a guy who's in movies where characters just fucking kill their entire families. Uh, <laughs> like in fucking Usual Suspects. Remember, they go through that fucking story. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a classic Benicio uh, performance that we will get to. Um, I know, I really like that scene. I liked, uh, and this is where the uh, the uh, Roger Deakins thing comes in. Uh, I love how warm that scene is from just a, and just it like feels more warm and saturated than the rest of it, which is a little bit more stark. Um, mm-hmm. It's almost like the, uh, dr- you know, the dude's uh life is like away from you know all that you know stuff that's going on you know and he has a family and tries to have a semblance of a real existence despite uh completely breaking down and destroying things around him um i thought that was fantastic i think that um just what they were able to do with the performances in this and we're kind of like segueing into that now i mean when we're talking about the performances um like Denny Villeneuve said he fully expected to be making uh, films in Quebec throughout his career. Uh, and, but like, he's like, I, that's what's going to end up happening in that. Uh, he uses uh, legally blonde seven. He's like, uh, and the only time I would be called by, you know, Hollywood is for movies like that, um, yeah. which he had no interest in making. So he kind of resigned to his life to working uh, in the Quebec uh, industry, which is a self-contained industry. and does quite well, but he said that one thing he loved about these this level of movies was like getting to work with this level of talent. So he like praised the entire cast, specifically Emily Blunt and Benicio del Toro. So let's let's talk about uh, Emily Blunt and what we felt about her performance. I uh, she's fantastic. In the, in the you really see the you really see the events through her lens of things, and I think that. You know, she goes through so many ups and downs in this movie. And, like, aside from the fact that, you know, there's tension there all the time, it's, it's, he, he was able to do it in a way where that tension is just literally funneled through her character the whole, the whole movie. And, like, you feel like you're just, you're sitting next to her going on this crazy ride the whole time. And, yeah, I, I just thought she was, she was spectacular. I think this is probably her best. Her, her probably her best performance that I've seen her in anyway, for sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, I 
would have to echo everything you said, but she, she definitely, she's sort of the emotional center and carrier of this movie. She is the representation of, you know, uh, the audience throughout this movie in terms of what we feel throughout this is kind of, is, is carried by her performance and by her reactions to things. Um, you know, it's, it's a whole absurd, you know, being exposed to that kind of reality. It's a whole level of absurdity in terms of what's happening and, and, and how, and what she, the situation she's been put into and she doesn't, you know, she doesn't overdo it. She, she, it's, it's a, it's a good sort of ebb and flow over, of, of dealing with this stuff and, and, and being, you know, she, she's also there cause she's a professional and she's been doing, you know, she's been through horrible things, but then, you know what I mean? So it's, there's a level, it's not like, it's not like we're just, she's just constantly reacting terribly to things, to terrible things, but uh, uh, you know, she's there's an ebb and flow to that because she's both a professional, but then she's also seeing things and being put into situations that are absolutely crazy. Yeah. Um. So and that there's a lot of, you know, with th- I mean, in comparison, all the other characters. I mean, you, Josh Brolin, and uh, to to kind of give my overview of all of them, Josh Brolin is just does. Do not Josh give your Brolin. overview of all of them. I we have are going... to because it's it's all they're all tied together. Okay, good. You better be ready for a full discussion after this. <laughs> Well, fine. I'm not going to talk about George, Josh Brolin, even though I. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, no, she she does a really good job. I don't know if it's her strongest performance just because Emily Blunt tends to put in very solid perform- performances in everything she's in. I, I There's not very there's not many examples I could bring up where she's subpar. But so and, and she does really well on her part in this. So, yeah. She is versatile as fuck. Um, Very, yeah. So, I mean, her breakout role was uh, Devil Wears Prada. She's hilarious in that movie. She's, uh, it's where she is introduced uh, to the to the world in really a large, uh, you know, where there's hype around what she's doing. And uh, I thought it was fantastic. And the fact that she can execute that so well, but then come in and do such a polar opposite role you know, the I think the breadth of her career speaks for itself. Uh, I think this is probably her best role. I think that, first of all, American accent. Thoughts on the American accent? I thought she did fantastic. Bang on. Bang on. I was a little upset that she had no Texas accent, though, but yeah, cool. <laughs> also, uh, same, for, same for Daniel Kaluuya. I know we're talking about her, but same for Daniel Kaluuya. Actually, really good you know, uh, uh, American accent. For yes. Uh, he did really good too. We're going to get to Daniel Kaluuya, who is, you know, what? I, that's another, he's another one. I believe that this is probably one of his breakouts. So, I mean, uh, Emily Blunt did fantastic. As I said, versatility. It's so funny because you, it's very palpable how surrounded by testosterone she is in this film. And the fact that her character doesn't ever like balk to it, um, in terms of like doesn't ever speak their mind even to the very end when she has like a gun to her head you know only at the very end when she thinks that you know that she will definitely die um does she like ever kind of let up despite what happens to her and i thought i I think that the casting for this especially this role was absolutely spot on i know that uh, denny villeneuve was like she was down to do whatever it took to get the role and do whatever preparation necessary and that there was a level of excitement with her and that it was, uh, you know, it wasn't like I had to tease the performance out of her, um, you know, is kind of what he was saying. And 
I mean, that's that's some that's some pro shit, and she's good, and um, she should continue getting these roles. I I, I think she's probably one of the best uh, actors in the game right now. Um, let's talk about Benicio. Like, how do we feel about his performance? Better than the Last Jedi? Question mark. No, def- <laughs> no, definitely not. Definitely not. Okay, what do we think? <laughs> Go ahead, Boyan. I mean, Benicio is just one of those actors who. You know, I, unfortunately, he does get typecast, but he always kick, knocks it out of the park whenever he is put in that in that uh, role. And I can't say I'm blown away by it. There are scenes like that last scene that are, that are, and he does this great job of. I mean, that's also part of the story, but he does this great job of just he's this he's just just silent, enigmatic pre- presence in the background, and then all of a sudden when he's when he's in a shot in a scene, he he's just intense and in like subtly intense and 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 rate you know always raises the stakes by 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 being so um i don't think it's his best performance he's been in a, a lot of really good movies um you know usual spot suspects at traffic and, and and um oh, others but um yeah no it's the hard part here is that it's an ensemble of very solid performing and consistently solid performing actors uh so it's hard to say if 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 it stands out beyond his uh his other roles but uh i think he did a really good job yeah like like i really like how we don't really know uh sort like we we kind of get hints of what his motivation is throughout the whole movie specifically with the interrogation scene when he meets the the other um, I believe it's another lawyer that he meets in the hallway where, you know, he says, I'm sorry for what happened to your family and and all that stuff, or I'm sorry what happened to you. So we kind of get a sense that he's had history with the cartel and, and all that stuff. But but I love how his character, for, for the most part, is a mystery right up until more or less the ending of the movie, when when we finally sort of understand why he's so out to get these people, right? And... Yeah, like I mean, for 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 the for the Sicario role that he was given, he pulled it off to a T, and that's just what Benicio does. He's a fucking A list actor, man. He's top top shelf for 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 what he is, and he was great in the movie. He was great. Every performance in this movie was great. I don't think there was a single person that was that that wasn't good. At, like uh, as far as completing the whole, you know. I think that this is. I, I I'm trying to debate where it is, uh, in his pan in the in the Del Toro pantheon, uh, boy, and I think you made an excellent point in terms of um, you know his ability to be mysterious and his ability to and like you also see you know I mean in true anti-hero kind of fashion he starts off as a hard ass and is. And, you know, and then he kind of, you know, he kind of plays the thriller trope of the guy who knows exactly what he's doing, you know, the expert who's like, nope, you guys need to do this if this happens. And then he's just kind of noticing all the moves and all the games. And uh, he's really, really good at that. Um, He's mean. He's menacing. Uh, Sometimes when his voice is quiet, it's more menacing than when it's loud. In fact, it's rarely loud. I feel like... I feel like there's not too many movies where he's just blatantly loud. I mean, like Fear and Loathing comes to mind. But um, where do we think this is in Benicio Del Toro performances? Um, I, like, honestly, I, I, I don't know. Like, I, like, I think he's, I don't know. It, it might be near the top. It's hard to say. Like, he's really good in Che, 
too. Like I know Kyle, you're you're you, Kyle, you're all about Che. At least part one, I know that. Um, so. His performance was so good that it made me forget it was shot on red one. <laughs> 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 yeah, I mean Che is fantastic. I, I think I think Che is his best performance. Uh, I think that was the role he dreamed of playing and was born to play. And yeah. I was just like, and then in like in w- any high conversations in high school, it was always like, yo, who would play Shea, man? And it's like Benicio Del Toro, of course. Yeah. You didn't even have to, you didn't even have to put a fucking costume on him. You just had to just walk him onto set mm-hmm. and he's just ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? He's enigmatic. Uh, he's... He he can be he can be so stoic yet firm at the same time, and I think that it's Shay. Also, the other one that kind of uh, stands out, um, and I keep watching it, is genius every time I watch it. Is Fear and Loathing? Yeah, yeah, man. I like I always forget about Fear and Loathing just because it's like when I think of Terry Gilliam, that's one of the last ones I think of, or even Johnny Depp or or Benicio. But that movie's fucking awesome, and and I always forget that 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 movie's out there. But yeah, he's so good in that. He was good in 21 Grams too. Like he, he was, was really good, in, good 20, in that. He was good in 21 Grams. Um but like yeah, like he's usually pretty good in everything. Like even um even like his weird character parts that he has in, in movies like Snatch, um like Sin City where he plays Jackie Boy, which is which <laughs> That's is another good one. That's another good one. Right? Like stuff like that, but like I really love this movie because like him in this movie just because, you know, he's got like this menacing sort of very quiet um intenseness but there's also a lot of uh, a lot of grief and sadness behind the performance like it has the his character in this has so many layers that are kind of like just sort of pushed down under all of this that you gradually get to s- sort of see come to light in like little inclinings throughout this movie so like i don't know like is it his best probably not but it's it's really fucking good. it's up there thoughts plan yeah no it's it's like i said i don't think it's i don't think it's 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 obviously among his best but i don't think it's is there it's just too close to his typecast you know i you mentioned it you know his that whole enigmatic stoic thing is just too close to default his default level of perform i mean level type of character so what's your favorite benicio think, what's your favorite benicio del toro i mean it's it's che it's even though that's kind of I don't know, it's Che and Fear and Loathing, one of those. I think I think if you're looking just... for the break in that stoicness, then Fear and Loathing is your juice. Yeah, <laughs> because yeah. he's just everywhere. Like the yeah. part, the part where he's like dropped the radio in where White Rabbit when White Rabbit peeks, <laughs> and then he throws the fucking orange at him, and he's like, whoa, <laughs> he's just oh, and he's just like fucking like how I was looking yeah. at that. I'm like, how did they? How do they just do this for fucking two months? Yeah. Yeah. And I How think for they... me, for a, most actors who have this sort of typecast, if, even if they're really good in their type, when it's, it's their, it's their other roles that, that are against that type that are more likely the ones I'm going to, I'm going to enjoy a lot more. And that's maybe yeah. not fair to them. You know, they, they, maybe it's not their best performance. Maybe their, their type is they're, they're the best at that because that's their, you know I mean? That's, what goes easiest for them but i think for me it's usually the one that is completely different than what the, anything they've done before josh brolin pop uh. quiz <laughs> is his character in this movie a bigger dick than his character in avengers 
Um, I mean, no. Thanos, you could you could kind of like sympathize with yeah even though he's thanos is completely like his yeah. end goals are mad are you trying to say that thanos is a sympathetic character yeah. i mean That's i think what he said. I, honestly i think his performance as thanos and some of the some of the aspects of that character can be sympathized with even though even though his end goals and how he how he achieves them are complete madness i'm just giving you a hard evil. time boy and like let's be real <laughs> like how like how how much could they listen i'm not I didn't mind uh, the first Avengers. I didn't like the second half of it. But I think that when they're like, we're doing Thanos, I'm like, they're going to fuck this up. There's no way there's not. And you know what? I love Josh Brolin. And then when I saw Thanos, I'm like, he looks like a big smoggy's purple baby. And I'm like, and then all of a sudden I'm like, he, if there is something bad about this movie, it's not him. Yeah. Yeah. They ha- he's a, he plays a villain who's this purple guy with testicle chin. <laughs> and he fucking and uh, like there's no you know uh, i mean i i guess i'm gonna reference reddit here but there's a subreddit called thanos did nothing wrong which is fucked up but it's like it's also the fact that even ironically people could uh, could could be become fans of him by sympathizing with thanos in some way is kind of goes to his credit in that performance so i think whereas this performance i mean this is like what i would call default i, mean, I think josh Brolin is just this guy like I think he just shows up to meetings in fucking sandals and a in a, in a fucking uh, a t-shirt and just says yeah you know okay. has that shit eating grin and just says stupid shit and people take him serious just walks like, on I, set hey Denny yeah. do you have a, do you have any do you have any tortier <laughs> <laughs> yeah like I think like I think he peaked with Goonies but. Um, he's like Orson. No. He's like Orson Welles. Bad. Yeah, he's like Orson no. Welles. Um, I think his best movie might be No Country, as far as just uh, his performance. But I really, really liked him in this too. But he's been in like so many great movies. Uh, even like not even just as the main character, but even as like a supporting character. Like you know, he's W. He's been in Milk. Oh my God, Milk. Uh, he was he was really good in Milk. You know, he was Tom Chaney in True Grit and sort of a small small part in that movie. Yeah, he's he's Thanos. He's uh, um, he was in American Gangster too. Yeah, because well. he was the uh, was it the uh, the crooked cop detective Trupel. Yeah, detective Trupel. You're gonna have to tell me when you're coming into this part of town. <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> but yeah, like he's just like he's. Like he's just really solid, and 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 I'm I'm he's a he's obviously a Denny Villeneuve go to because he's gonna have a big part in Dune coming up as well, but uh, yeah no he he was great in the movie, but I kind of yeah I, I almost kind of picture this is how he's always like, and and if you if you if you follow him on social media, you can kind of see the whole shows up to a meeting and flip flops mentality in full flight so i think he probably had a great time playing this character this guy smokes weed for sure oh yeah this was his vacation movie yeah yeah yeah. this is why diane lane divorced him (laughs) (laughs) let's move on to uh daniel kaluuya who i mean he was in kick-ass 2 i believe (laughs) he was in johnny english reborn if my notes are correct but then this guy is in Sicario, and you know what? He is a fucking talent. He has an upcoming movie, Judas and the Black Messiah, which I can't wait uh, to see. Queen and Slim was fucking fantastic. Uh, Widows. So, But this was his first kind of role, uh, and then he did get out. What do we think of him in this? He's, he's good. I mean, I don't, I don't think it was anything too, too challenging for him as far as just what he had to do, but he was just good, really good. I mean, he's amazing in Get Out. 
he he's really fucking good and get out. Uh, but I'm glad that he was able to kind of springboard himself in, into doing, you know, movies uh, like big movies as a result of this, you know, cause you know, he's a nice supporting character in this movie. Right. Yeah. Uh, basically I, I don't think that, I mean, if, if this might've been a movie that proved that he could be in bigger things, especially in terms of proving that he could do a solid American accent. Um, that's definitely a test. Every English uh, British actor has to pass at some point. I don't think he had a lot to work with character-wise. There wasn't really anything to do. He was more of a there to sort of a, a story element to support uh, Emily Blunt, sort of in terms of you know her. She's entering this world of of chaos and this this darkness that she's never you know seen before, and then he's there to kind of pull her back or at least reinforce that her you know original sort of morals in terms of the laws and ethics and all that stuff and he does he does a fine job at that i just don't think he there's anything about his performance here to really showcase him as a as an actor and, and i think his real sort of performance comes from get out and the first time i i haven't even i don't even remember i mean i've, I've read his his other list of movies and i don't really remember anything out of that him doing anything there but the one, the role that I remember him first from is is he's in the first episode of Black Mirror. Black Mirror, yeah, the I was going to say very first that. episode. Yeah. I love that episode. Like that's correct. You know, I, I can't I can't say maybe it's that it's all that it's because of him, but that episode um, and his key role in it is really what got me to 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 love the hell out of that show. It blew my mind. So I mean, you know, he I think. If he has chops, he he either le- showed them there or learned them there, and then I'm 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 happy. I'd love to see him in more in more bigger movies here in ho- like in Hollywood movies. And he's yeah, and, obviously he's and obviously his, done a really good job in Get Out, and he's upcoming in others. And his career really is just it started really good. like he's like Boyan said he's done Black Mirror and he's done a bunch of other TV shows and stuff like that. But I think the last five or six years really has been the start like the the like the springboard to everything else like he's only 31 so he and he and he's been in some of these big big movies now in the last five or six years and i'm excited to see just him grow and just him do more interesting things because he's really really cool i really like him i mean just looking at the trailer for judas and the black messiah it looks ridiculous i mean it's a iconic uh he's playing fred hampton um oh god black panther <laughs> who was black panther who was murdered oh, by the yeah. chicago pd as yeah. uh, part of COINTELPRO. Um, which is going to be, it's going to be rid- ridiculous. And uh, I think he's just like his scenes in it look fantastic. I'm hoping it's good. Uh, he is talented as fuck. And I'm so glad that uh, you touched on it. It's Holly. It's, it's really tough for black actors in Hollywood. He was able to, you know, what limited he was in this, he was able to knock it out and translate it into more roles. And uh, I think it's good. I think to be very honest with you, uh, he can carry uh, movies, especially ones like Judas and the Black Messiah. It just looks like it's going to be carrying more than the normal fare that's coming out, the, uh, you know, of Hollywood these days. I would hope so, given yeah. what it's about anyway. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, I, I love that story. Uh, anyways, look out for that to come out. Now what I want to kind of want to do shifting gears uh, is what does this, what did this do? Because I felt if you're, I don't know if you guys agree. I felt like the, uh, thriller genre, especially the drug cartel, but like just, you know, the idea of the thriller and the, you know, the, the action kind of movie, like how did like this kind of turned it on its head? Like, what do you think you guys think about that? I turn it on its head in what way do you think Kyle? 
Um, the ability to take something that was completely worn out and uh, make it something new and fresh by just approaching it a different way from a cinematic point of view rather than relying on, I mean, it doesn't even eschew to uh, tropes, but it's able to use them in a way that seems smart and intelligent and uh, rooted in mood rather than um, spectacle. Well, I think it, I said this in the beginning that I think that's really a direct result of the spin that Villeneuve puts on it. And it's his own spin that he's put on his work, uh, you know, all the way up until Blade Runner is just the atmosphere. And, and he has a tendency to take subject matters that he deals with very seriously. And I think that's, you know, it's been like that ever since Polytechnique. I mean, you've seen Polytechnique, right, Kyle? Like that's a like that is a very very serious chilling. thing that happens. It's, it's, it's chilling. It's, it's absolutely chilling. And and he has just this way of taking subjects, whether it's you know whether it's uh, uh, whether it's a school shooting like that, or or whether he's dealing with uh, what is human or what isn't human in Blade Runner, and in and in this case about about cartels and and about the ends justifying the means in order to take them down. Um, his films tend to have a slower pace to them. But in no way are they boring. They're, they're super interesting because of the way he's able to, to create tension in the atmosphere. And also another thing that we didn't bring up in the beginning is the way the score in this movie helps set the mood in, so, in some Johan, of these as well. I believe so. Yes. I believe so. Because the score in this also, just that like low you know, humming, like through, especially when they're like driving through Juarez with the convoy and all that stuff. Like it just amplifies the tension in, in all of those scenes. And I don't think I've ever seen uh, a movie in this genre sort of have this level of tension and, and it's not fast paced. Like it's not a frantic action film where people are just like snorting lines of Coke and having these crazy shootouts. And then when, the action scenes finally do happen. They're super impactful and in your face and it's jarring because he builds them like up, right? Like they're built up to those crescendoing moments. And it's just something that, 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 that Dennis Villeneuve does so well in, in all of his fucking movies. He just builds it all the way up. And then when it finally happens, it's just so fucking awesome. Just epic as shit when it happens. So I think that's the X factor here. And also just the way and how they approach the subject matter of the ends justifying the means through the lens of, of Kate. Those two things together, I think, is the thing that really sort of made it completely different than, than, than everything else in this genre. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, what's sort of fresh to me is just how well uh, the thriller genre is, is done. I think a lot of the a lot of problems with thrillers that I find are ones where, you know, they go intense as fast as possible not as fast as possible but they get to a level of high intensity and then they just never let off um and that's a problem because then that level of intensity becomes the viewer sort of like zero okay now this is it's just going to be at this point i'm just gonna i'm just gonna kind of not not pay as much or like not be as invested in it because it's just going to be intense throughout you need, peaks and, this, you need peaks and valleys yeah. He does, yeah. So the master of the, of the thriller that he handled, does it really well in this is that, like I said, he peaks in value, so he, he knows when to let off to make to make the next intense scene 
that much more intense by by giving you that sort of breath of fresh especially if like after their first trip into into Juarez and their return so you you know there's still elements of the story that he that are building blocks to making things even more intense and adding more stake onto it but it's stuff that's being built uh, in their dialogue and in the story without making you feel tension at that moment it is you get a little bit of relief and but he and he uses that relief to build the next uh yeah. intense scenario and that i think is that is masterfully done and then uh he pairs that with you know you guys are talking about and justifies the means but so much of what he does here is is uh present to you a story uh story elements and, and characters that live in this sort of gray area and you know anything even you know even that uh <laughs> the mob boss at the end who you know says you know we're we're a product of like we 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 follow after America or we're a product of America basically. And then, you know, and the other, the other uh, piece when they talk about, you know, as, until they figure out how people, you know, until they get people to stop snorting uh, Coke and, 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 and taking drugs, like this is, you know, these are all like, the, none of that is not true. Like, you know, the, the brutality of what they do uh, is, is comes from other places. They didn't, you know, they didn't invent that brutality. And the fact that they exist is, is, is a product of the war of war on drugs. And the fact that Josh Brolin's characters exist, you know, the, the CIA guy who doesn't give a shit about the law is, is something you believe as part of that sort of like, well, he's kind of a necessity, you know, for yeah. us to deal with these kinds of extreme, extremely violent people, we need somebody who can do that, you know, and not uh, you can't you can't send a bunch of Emily Blunts to deal with with uh, with uh, uh, you know uh, the drug cartels. It's, they just wouldn't survive. So that whole this whole riding of the gray of the gray area with these characters in the story, it it works with the ten, with the tension of the whole story, and it works in creating a, a where you're just a, a scenario where you walk away from it and you're like. Well, who was the bad, who were the bad guy? Obviously, the guys that mutilate a bunch of people are the bad guys. But then, there's just no really good guys. I mean, even the good guys, even Emily Blunt, by the end, she she stands up for her principles and then has to, you know, has to sign that she that that's all okay at the end at the point of a gun, um, and 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 lets them walk away. I mean, there's no there's no good guys in this at the end. Yeah. Well, to nobody Benicio, walks away. To quote Benicio's character, it's it's a, it's a land of wolves. Right, and I think that pretty much sums up what you're trying to say there. And yeah, the film does a really good job at at at, at making it makes you ask all the questions as an uh, as a as a viewer and as a member of the audience. And, and then just it, this film also was able to satisfy everything I like to see artistically in in a film from the shooting style and. And like he like he puts you in these situations where you have to use your own imagination to think about what's happening. Like a good example would be this would be the interrogation scene uh, in 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 the holding cell where it's just that shot of 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 the drain next to the big water jug. You know, like you think, oh yeah, he's gonna bring that in there and waterboard the shit out of this guy. And then all you just hear is like all this grunting and groaning, and you just have this static push in shot of this drain. And like this big jug of water. And so you have to, you know, you have to, you have to use your own imagination to imagine what the fuck is happening. You know, it's something terrible, but he forces you to play a part in, 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 in the story. And he forces you to, to have to think about what you're seeing and, and what you're watching, which of course I fucking love that. 
I feel like periodically every genre needs a film to uh, reset the the you know the bar, and I think that this is this for the you know for the for the thriller genre. I'm gonna ask a question here to kind of wrap us up. Did they need to make a sequel? Um, no, <laughs> they didn't. But I mean, they did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, there—that's a question you could pretty much ask of any sequel, and and ninety percent of the time, the answer would be like, no, nah, it's not really necessary. But it's you know, it's a result of just where Hollywood is culture-wise. You know, it's just they make sequels out of everything they can, and I think part of this, I believe, from what I understood, is also this movie was made um, uh, by a. a, a partners of two production companies that then it was sold to Lionsgate after effects Lionsgate was yes uh Lionsgate involved. was uh was distributor I think there was a pre-deal uh that's it um I'm just trying to remember offhand the production companies but continue so I what I believe is I mean what I obviously I don't know but what I believe with the scenario is you know this film that cost this much money and then made made what it cost plus you know made double and and plus some more with 89 million so almost three times as much uh, you know, for a company like Lionsgate, that's it's like, oh, you know, it's if we can continue with this, that's a nice little profit. Let's let's just do it again. And from what I read, and I don't know about the actual intentions, it could just be bad reporting. But it even looks like, you know, it would have been Denny would have possibly even done the sequel. Uh, but I think he he was actually working on something else at the time. I'm not sure exactly what. So did they need a sequel? No. Did they, you know, they obviously, I'm pretty sure the reasons for making another one was money. And I think, uh, I believe, I remember reading that the writer is actually, you know, he has this whole, uh, it, there's like a trilogy of movies that he was, a series of work, of uh, movies set in that, uh, what they call the neo-Western crime movies, sort of uh, uh, series of things that he wanted to make. I don't know if that's going to work out. So I think there was ideas, uh, at least from the writer. So maybe what wasn't purely inspired by money. Obviously they saw an opportunity to make some money they did and i think the big thing with this movie having seen it is that as and because i saw it so long after i saw sicario that i that i barely remembered when i saw it the first time that i didn't mind it as a movie i think it was it was a good movie on its own uh certainly not a great movie but a good movie on its own and it's just when you put it in comparison to, to sicario is is where you get this sort of less than seller response from a lot of people uh and but on its own I, don't, I there's nothing particularly you know too bad about it i think it's okay and, and the performances are okay it could have been a piece of shit yeah yeah but i think yeah the x factor is when you put it next to like sicario it's just it's not even in the same league as far as as far as how how, how good the first one is but it's not a bad movie on its own but it's you know it, it's it's one like it's one of those movies I put on one time. I was like, oh yeah, I guess we'll just check it out, and uh, it was finished. I was like, oh yeah, yeah it wasn't terrible, but eh, it didn't it's blow got my Benicio, fucking mind. It's got Benicio and uh, Josh Brolin, in it, so like they, they didn't have to do any recasts. No. So I mean, that's good. Um, that would have been a joke. It certainly puts puts Emily Blunt's uh, uh, role and character in, pers- in in more perspective of why that sort of care uh, emotional sort of carrying the emotion of the story was such a such a key thing in the first one because yeah. she was missing in the second one and then well, you just have that's what i think it lost guys 
Mm-hmm. Like yeah. that's that's what I think a lot. It's like this one was too like even though Kathleen Keener's in it, it's still like hyper masculine. There's no counterbalance. Um, there's no emotional or moral counterbalance either. Really, like I they try to like cobble it together, but she does it so naturally. Um, and it really again that's a really good point shows uh her level of importance in the film in the in Sicario. Yeah. She it does give Benicio. It does give Benicio a little bit more uh, with this character, a little bit more development that I think was actually really nice, and give allows him to you know show be more than just stoic and enigmatic um, with with the connection that he makes uh, when he's when he's at the I believe at the end escaping from um, from I think it was the government who decides to kill him at this point, yeah. and he's running through the countryside in Mexico. On that note, gentlemen. We got to get going. Uh, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, we're going to be back soon with The Arrival. Oh, sorry. No, Arrival, not The. The Arrival is that stupid Charlie Sheen movie. <laughs> back with Arrival. Anyways, guys, Hell thank yeah. you so much. I'll talk to you soon. All righty, bye.